Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you open our ears and you open our hearts as we are honest with you and we we confess what is going on in our hearts so that we can hear in your word uh, what is the true story we should be listening to, not the story of our mind and the story uh, of darkness that we often battle with. We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, we're in the, the middle of a sermon series. We only have two left. So if you, you've been paying attention, we have two left. And then um, someone goes on a cruise to Florida. So we have, we, have, we have two left, and we're talking about being stuck today. And the, the, the history of where this kind of came from is we were, looked at Guy Winch. He was a psychologist, and, and very uh, kind of famous because he was on TED. And he tells a story, if you remember, about negative things and being unable to process the thoughts that we tell ourselves. So he told the story. I'll make it really short this time. A woman who is divorced, ugly divorce, and finally gets enough courage to go on a date. She goes on a date with a guy she met on the internet. Ten minutes into it, remember what happens. The guy says, I'm not interested. He walks out. And she, she you know, calls her best friend, and her best friend says, well, why would a guy want to go out with you? You have big hips. You're not very interesting. And, uh, you know, he's a successful guy. Why would he want to have anything to do with you? And, of course, it's not her best friend. It's this self who's telling her, She's telling herself these things. I think we've, to some degree, all experienced something like that. There's a negative kind of thing that you tell yourself. You you face failure. You face uh, whatever it is. You start giving yourself this dialogue wondering, am I ever going to do it? And you start doubting yourself. Your your self-esteem gets down. You become more and more isolated. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. So all these things have an effect on relationships. It has an effect on you. It has an effect spiritually. And most of them, I think, are based on fear because our biggest fears are not like spiders, right? Our biggest fear are, um, and probably not even paying the bills, isn't it? It's, there's deeper kind of rooted things where we say, like, what if I am a complete failure? You know, like, what if um, someone really finds out who I am? What if people find out, like, the darkness that's in my own heart? What happens if I get found out that I'm not very good at something that people think I'm good at, right? These are the fears. What if I'm alone, or what if I'm unlovable? I think these are the things that kind of drive some of this self-talk that we have. And so today we're going to be talking about being stuck in a bad place. And I think every one of us has experienced that in various ways. Okay, so we're going to go through. i got to remember what my slides should be. I had a lot of trouble with my slides this morning. They got moved around from at home to here, and I don't know why. Um, I do know why it's the devil. But I, somehow it affected it. Hopefully, they're arranged in a better way so that we can... So physically, we can all imagine being stuck. You're trying to go somewhere, right, and you get physically stuck, right? Every one of us has experienced this. You don't say, like, I'm stuck on vacation. You don't say, like, I'm stuck sleeping in today. You know, like, this is, you know, I'm stuck, um, you know, hanging out with my friends, or I'm stuck at my favorite restaurant, I'm stuck watching my favorite movie, because that's a destination you want to get to. I mean, to be stuck, you have to be trying to go somewhere better. So we get stuck at school. We get stuck at work, we get stuck um, at Michael's and Joanne Fabrics, and you know, like you get stuck at all these places. This is not a destination any human wants to go to. So you're, well, this is where I'm stuck, right? And so each of these things physically, you get stuck at, and you know we have various things that we kind of struggle with it. So that's like a place thing. You're on. You have a desire to do something greater and be somewhere better. So you use the word stuck. And, but sometimes it's also physically. Um, I have a picture here. I debated about using this illustration, but hopefully it shows up. I was like 90% sure this was kale. 
No, I'm like dead serious. I thought this was kale, and I thought it was funny enough, because so there's some history to it. So a couple of years ago, a friend of mine shamed me, and uh, we're at softball game. He's like, well, you squat 400 pounds, right? No, I don't. So then I thought, maybe I should be able to squat 400 pounds. So like without telling him, I, this is two years ago. I've been slowly working to try and get to this goal so that if somehow this ever comes up, which has never come up again in my whole life, somehow if I can get there, and then the guy says, do you squat 400 pounds? Because yeah, I squat 400 pounds. So, it's, but there's such a process to it. Because physically, I mean, the average human can squat their own weight, right? Like two, you know, 200 pounds or something, that's good. But once you start getting closer and closer to your physical capacities, you've got to do more and more stuff to try and make this happen. I'm not saying drugs, just, so, just for the record. Um, so you get closer and closer to what you're trying to do. Then it comes down to technique. It comes down to, like, doing this every day. So a guy actually talked to me, and I'm doing this squat every day program, which is way more than you want to know about squats. So then I'm doing research, and I run across Kale, who is squatting. Am I the only one? Like... Right now, if you told me that that was Kale, and I know Kale's really strong, so I said, Kale, I sent him a picture. Is this you? And he says, his only response is he's really vague. He just says, really, 495, you couldn't put five more pounds on to make it 500? <laughs> so then I'm like, that doesn't answer it. And so then I said something back, and then he writes back even vaguer and says, well, I can definitely bench more than I can squat. That doesn't answer it either. Like, so I'm like, so either Kale benches 500 pounds. I even sent it to Megan. Like, I, I'm like almost 100%. It's, he hasn't responded, so I can't say with any firm thing that that's Kale or not. So why, why do I bring up the squat? Because physically, if you've ever tried to do something physically with your body, you get stuck, right? Like, let's say you want to go, um, some are going through therapy. Kurt got a new knee. So there's physical things that you run into limitations. And at first, it's really easy. You make big progress. First time you start lifting weights, it hurts. But you get way stronger, way faster, right? And if you just never run, you just get off the couch, you run uh, one mile for the first time in your life, it's probably going to take you like 20 minutes, right? And you slowly get faster and faster, right? Like soon you're at like 1948. <laughs> no, no, like it gets faster Really, it, it, you make big, big gains, and suddenly you hit this wall. You get stuck, and you try and figure out, like, what's next. And with this squat, this is why I bring this up, physically getting stuck is way better than other kinds of getting stuck. Because um, if I'm by myself and I'm thinking, okay, I, I've run to the limit of what I can do, I can go to the gym where there's people who know what they're doing, and they can look and say, well, your technique is wrong. Uh, you're collapsing here, or your core has to do this, or you have to flex your hips first. It's all kind of weird. Um, you need lifting shoes, or you need these knee sleeves, or you need to, you know, there's different things. Are you doing this or that? Are you doing front squats? And then it gets really weird when you get to the heavy super power lifters. They put chains on the ends. They put bands on the ends. Like, this is all more than you want to know. Why do I like it? Because as a pastor, where my life, it, it's, it's like this, and you don't see end results. Until someone's in heaven, you know, my work isn't done. And so to have something where I can just make some incremental gains. I'm not squatting 400 pounds. I'm not actually very close, but shh. <laughs> you know, you're slowly making these gains. There's something to it. And there's something nice about someone looking at you and saying, here's what you got to do to fix it. There's something always you can do to do it. The other places we get stuck, though, it's not so easy. So I think emotionally many of us get stuck. Um, 
think of the example of that 40-year-old lady recently divorced, and the guy says, I'm not interested in you anymore. How often do you think that dialogue rolled through her head? How many times do you think she thought about that conversation? A hundred? Like 200 times? And you just see the various things. If you have a problem at work, how often, maybe you get demoted or something, or maybe you get laid off, or maybe, you know, you name it, how often does that roll through your head and you just, the word is ruminate? You just kind of like think about it, and you kind of obsess about it, and, and but can anyone see that? You know, you come home and your, your spouse says, is something wrong? And you're like, no, I'm good. You know, I got a new PR today. No, that's not what you say. They can't see it. You know, they, they sense that something's not right, but you can't see it. And they can't say, oh, this is what you should do to fix it. Oh, you're stuck emotionally here. This is all you have to do. Do this or do that or put chains on it or do whatever. It's just way, way harder because the only way you can get past that is to express this to someone. Here's, and sometimes, though, you don't even know what the problem is. And I think it, with a squat, I won't keep bringing up the squat, but you get stuck, and I don't even know what the problem is until someone looks and says, this is what you're doing wrong. And emotionally, who's the person that we're consulting again and again and again and again? Like our own brain. And we're trying to think, like, what is going on here? And you just keep going over it again and again and again. And so this gets down to the story that we tell ourselves. What are we saying? We're saying, like, no one's ever probably felt this way. No one else has been stuck like this. And even if you realize that, and it leads to this, you know, like kind of this death spiral of going deeper and deeper in self-doubt and isolation, and you don't want to talk to someone, you become angry, you start telling yourself a whole other story. And what we're going to do today is talk about how do you get past that, but we're not talking emotionally. I don't think emotionally is the biggest issue we have because we, we have physical stuck, that's easy. And then we have emotional stuck, but then it, this affects relationships. And so... The, the, where you're going to see that through is at work. Something's happening in a relationship. You don't know what's going on. You're kind of stuck. And, and just like lifting weights, it happens early, right? You, the first time you went on a date, like it's woo And then like suddenly, you know, like reality hits and the gains are a lot slower. And the first time you exercise, it's really fast, but the, you, you're at work and you love this new job. If you met someone, they get a brand new job. They think it's the greatest thing ever. And then suddenly it's not that great. I'm seeing someone who just got a new job, two people who got new jobs that are not that excited anymore, apparently. So, um, you know, like you get this new job, it's really awesome, and then it, you get a new house, and it's really great. And then, you know, the gains kind of, the appreciation kind of levels off. And we have to say we're stuck, because that's not our goal. Our goal is to have this, you know, a great marriage, and our goal is to have great friends, and our goal is to have a fulfilling job. But somewhere in between, it feels like we're, we have sticking points, and it even happens with stuff as silly as Sam's Club. Have you guys gone to the new Sam's Club? Three times. <laughs> I just, just so, I, I only do it late at night so I can say, go into the club. And then I, you know, I just say, no, no one believes I'm fun enough to go to a club. Um, so I go to Sam's Club, and the first time I went there, it was like, ooh, they got their own juice bar, and they've got like all these deals and stuff like that. And, you know, the second time, it's not that great. And the third time, I'm just like, I just need some bananas. Where do I go? You know, like, so it, it kind of wears off. But that's not even what I'm talking about. So we're not going to dwell on physical. We're not going to dwell on emotional things. And, and we're not going to dwell on relational things, although it's affected. I think the thing I want to talk about today is spiritually. This is kind of like the um, unsaid thing when you get involved in, with a church. This is the unsaid thing that happens when you're a believer is you look around, and it sure looks like a lot of people are happy. It sure looks like a lot of people delight, and it sure seems like a lot of people, somehow, you know, like everything else in life kind of goes like this, but we never talk about our own spiritual life that does that. 
And the reality is, if you've experienced like a spiritual dry spot, you're normal. Like, I don't even think you'd be a Christian if you haven't experienced this. We, we just are afraid to talk about it with people. Like the, where you hit dead ends. And let me, it looks different with everybody, so let me just give you a couple examples. Um, have you ever gotten overwhelmed with anxiety in life that it made it hard to delight in God? Have you ever had an experience where you've had a sense of loss and you get angry at God? Do you come to church? And um, what maybe right in the beginning was really exciting and it felt like, hey, I'm building these relationships and suddenly you feel kind of isolated. Have you experienced this? Have you, um, you sing a song and the first time you sing it, you think that's, that's great and then, or you like the band or something like that, but soon it becomes a little bit mundane. The preached word, don't nod in there. No, I can't take it. All right. No. The preach word, which you said like, hey, that, that person really talks to me, really seems to hit home soon. It doesn't seem like it's hitting much of anything, right? Um, or uh, you really appreciate your Christian friends. You're going through a hard time, but then when they start giving you Christian advice, it seems pretty trite. It gets even deeper than that. I mean, your, your, your uh, repentance, you used to feel sorry for the sins that you've done. And when you'd see that a holy God says, do this or don't do that, your heart would break. But now you struggle, like to say, I don't know if I'm that sorry about it. This is all normal. It's just something that people don't talk about. And so the reason we feel stuck, in a sense, spiritually, is because this is not what we desire. It's not. I mean, it's not, we, we don't desire like a dead spot. We desire to, to have a heart that longs for mission. We have a heart that says, remember, uh, there's days when you were, you were willing to tell everybody you know about Jesus, and now like you suddenly become more and more introverted, and you're not doing that as much. Is this something you've experienced? Every one of us has experienced this. You used to delight in writing a check for the mission work that's going to go out there, and now sometimes your heart is saying, is that the best use of my money? all normal. The question that I think we have to wrestle with in is, is that I can't, as a pastor, look in your heart. You know, I can't see what's going on. I see people coming at church. If someone obviously doesn't show up, I can say something's going on. I can't see in your heart. And it's way different. I wish it was like the squat. You know, in that sense, I'd rather be a personal trainer because someone's doing something, you know, they still probably won't listen to me. But, you know, they'd still, you know, they're doing something. You could say, this is what you should be doing. I can't look in your heart. And so sometimes that battle just goes on in your own brain, and what the devil wants to convince you of is this. You're the only person here who's ever felt that way. You're the only person here who has doubted God. You're the only person who's been angry at God. You're the only person who church doesn't quite feel the same anymore. That's what the devil is trying to convince you of. So let's, let's just kind of walk through what would be some things, and we'll take it from the Psalms and then uh, Zephaniah. What are some things that, I, as a pastor, I can't read your heart, and I'm not trying to do that now that I think is the, to move forward when you're stuck. Uh, one of the things that I think makes sense to me is just be honest. A lot of us approach our relationship with God and we think, okay, um, this is what God expects of me and these are the emotions I'm supposed to have. So then whenever you talk to anyone else, they say, how are things going? And we often say, fine. But I mean, spiritually, we often say, things are good. You know, I like my church, et cetera, et cetera. Um, God knows what your heart is. And it's not, you do not have to pile on hypocrisy when you're talking to God. When you talk to God, I think you'd be honest with God. And we look at an example in the Psalms. It says, I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. What is he saying? He's saying again and again and again, 
He is so frustrated because it doesn't seem like God is in his life the way that he wants. Again and again and again, he, his mouth is worn out because he's like, God, where are you? Uh, where are you when I'm working so hard to try and talk to my friend about Jesus, but not even just outside things, God, where are you working on my own heart? Why don't I feel guilty anymore like I should? Why do I harbor this sin that I don't want to talk about? And I just, why is it that I, my heart is less generous? And I, why can't we be like King David, who it says, let us rejoice when we go to the house of the Lord? Why does it seem like drudgery, God? What's the deal? And it starts right there. Just being honest with the God who already knows your heart and saying, God, this is how I feel. I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like you don't care. I feel like, um, I feel like that you're not talking to me anymore. All of these things just laying bare before the Lord because God wants to hear it. And one of the most beautiful things about God, humans don't work this way. Humans don't work this way. When you have dry spots in a relationship, we're very quick to say we're kind of done. Uh, you got a friendship. You know, it's just not worth the effort. We'll talk about stretching out to love someone uh, next week, but it's just not worth the effort. You know, like it feels like it's drying out with a relationship. Just go find a new one. I mean, you see that with people in marriages. They're married, and it seems to hit a dry spot. It's just not worth the effort to open up your heart to keep pushing. You just say, I'll go find a new one. I'll go find a new store. I'll find a new restaurant. I'll find a new bike. I'll find a new car. I'll find a new house. We, we do that all the time. God, when he looks at that, just imagine it the other way around. Uh, with people who, that you're relying on, just say, I'm done with you. I don't have that much interest in you. I'm just going to put you on the side for a while. The, the beautiful thing about God is when we do that, he still longs to have a relationship with us, and I think that's an amazing thing. But as you're honest with God, there's something else you should do. I think you've got to tell someone. Because this just rolls around in your brain and you're not sure how to handle it. You're not sure to express it. You're not sure, can I tell my Christian friend this because they've never felt this way? Can I say like I'm really frustrated or I'm angry? Or I, can you say that and you think, well, they've, they've never felt that way. It seems pretty funny, right? Like what would it take? I'm going to make something up here. Um, what happens if you struggle sometimes and you're angry with your kids and sometimes it feels like you don't fully love your kids, okay? That's, I'm just making something up. How much courage would it take to express that to another human being? You know, it's not your job. You're not supposed to like your job. What would it take to say there's days where I'm really frustrated and I, sometimes I wonder if I, I don't love my kids? Now, I'm not saying that's something you feel, but now take this to another level when you're saying to a Christian friend, there's days where I'm super angry at God and I feel like, what am I doing here? That takes courage. And what would be the point of telling someone else? Let's just bring it back to the squat one more time. I mean, the point of going to the gym and saying, can you, this sounds really weird now, can you watch my squat, um, is it, saying, I'm stuck, I need some help. And, and what all you're doing is reaching out to a group of believers who have felt the exact same way you have, maybe not right at this moment, but they felt the same way you have, and you're saying, I'm really struggling right now with this. Because there's a group of people that longs to try and help you. There's a group of people that longs to encourage you. The way that they say it in the psalm, it says, let us assemble peoples, gather around you. This is talking about God. While you sit enthroned, and there's a different translation that says that you can return enthroned over on high on them. And that's essentially what we do. Is It's not that God has gone anywhere else. It's just we put other things. And when you come and talk to a group of believers, they help return God to his spot. 
And you say, here's where I'm stuck, or I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this sin, and, I, and I've never told anyone about this. You are hearing the very words of God when the God says, um, I, I've heard your sin, and I can forgive that sin. So, honest with God, you've got to talk to some other people. You're not going to get out of it. And the other one is stop thinking. I know some people, I wanted to say that just to be a little edgy. When you become a Christian, some people think that you stop thinking, and I think sometimes we think too much. And the problems that I have, I'm a, I'm a ruminator. So if we have a bad conversation, now don't do this. Now if we have a bad conversation in the hall, that's going to roll through my head at least 100 times. I might reach out to my other pastor friends and say, can you help me on this? I don't fully get this. It's going to keep rolling through. Well, the same thing is true with God. Is we often re- The problems that I have when it comes to Christianity are thinking problems. Um, it really bothers me when I try and think why some and not others. It really bothers me that um, I've got you know, relatives that don't believe in Jesus, and it doesn't make sense to me, and it makes me angry. It really bothers me when you get to some of these philosophical ends, and it does it, or, or you think about creation, you think, God, are you trying to trick me? Because there's a whole lot of things that make it look like something else. And you, this, these are the parts that bother me. Sometimes, though, you just got to shut your brain off. And you got to go outside, and you got to lay down and look at the sky. And you just say, okay, God, you created these mountains. You created this grass. You gave the, the smile of my kids. It, God, you're the one who, who built this universe that is so vast we haven't discovered it yet. And you're the one who, there's 7 billion people on this planet, and it can sure feel like if, if you love everyone, how can you love me? But God, you say that you actually care about me. You haven't snuffed me out yet. And I wonder if that's what the psalmist was thinking. When he, he, he comments on God, he says, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. Did he just look out and just see that he's just this little blip? It might be a big deal in the world, but it's hard to believe that you're a big deal to God. And my own heart has felt that same way until you step out and you say, wait a second, there's absolutely no reason God should delight in me. There isn't, right? There's no reason God should, of all the people on the planet, care about me. There's no reason the Holy Spirit should be working in my heart. God should just, like, obliterate. God, why do you give me one more breath? Why do you give me 24 more hours? Why have you given me another morning? Why? Because he delights in you. And it it blows your mind, and I think you've got to stop thinking. So there's two steps. One is to stop thinking, and then you have to think again and remember what God has done. Zephaniah says it this way, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. And, you know, we say that uh, God is in love with you. Maybe you've heard that phrase, and it seems kind of weird to me. I like the fact that my wife is in love with me. I don't say that about my kids. You know, my kids are in love with me. I won't say that. It seems strange. And, and so it seems strange to say that about God, but I, it's not that we've said too much. I think we don't say enough. Like every metaphor that you can think of when it comes to love is how God feels about you. As a father delights in her daughter, my daughter went to Sadie's yesterday. My wife could see what was happening. I said, hey, I wanted to ride along because she was going, and because I wanted a picture I'm kind of fixing my hair a little bit as much as I fix my hair because uh, I wanted a picture like with my 16-year-old because I delight in her. She makes me happy. I'm proud of her. And then I think that's how God looks at me. God looks at you and he delights in you. 
He gives you another 24 hours. He gives you another morning, not because you know, he's dealing with you or he's putting up with you or he's, you know, he's stuck with you. How would you feel if you had a bunch of disobedient kids that never wanted to listen and wanted to take breaks and stop caring? Like, how would you feel who doubted your existence? Hey, it's dad, uh-huh. I mean, how would you feel? And yet what God looks at us, it, it, there isn't a single break in there, and he delights. He finds joy and his heart leaps. As a father delights in his daughter, as a, a mother delights in her son, as you delight in your spouse, as you love your dog, and you love your pets, and you love your house, and you, God delights even more than that in you. So what do you do when you're stuck? You're honest with God. I mean, I mean that. Just be honest. Call out to him. Talk to someone else about it. This is not a healthy situation to be in. I mean, you're stuck. And talk to someone else with that. Stop thinking. Start thinking. Then you've got to wait. So am I hoping the slide, yes. Does anyone recognize which model car that is without the white walls? Does anyone know what kind of car this is? Jeep Wagoneer. This is my first car. Not that one. That one's restored and it's $28,000. But mine was closer to $2,800. So I, my favorite car, this is the car I dreamed of when I was a kid. So some guys dream about sports cars and Lamborghinis and cool things like that. I wanted a Jeep Wagoneer. This is the, the car I wanted. I would research it and I finally got one. This color even, without the white walls, because that makes it look dorky. Not the wood paneling. That makes it look awesome. <laughs> so I got this Jeep Wagoneer. It's the first four-wheel drive car I've ever had. Has anyone um, grew up in like Wisconsin or somewhere cold? How many times have you been off the road? So like it, this state, I've gotten one car crash. Someone, slid, uh, someone back, uh, rear-ended me when we were coming up to the light. Actually, right here. Wasn't paying attention. Rear-ended me. One accident. Wisconsin, I bet I was in over 15. Over 15. Like... If you drive in Florida, you get an accident just because people are bad drivers. In Wisconsin, we're pretty good drivers, but you slide off the road. So one time, I had just visited Amy, and we're dating at the time. I've got my Jeep Wagoneer. And uh, so I'm driving and driving, and it, it, like semis are off in the road. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to, because I was going to see Amy. That was the situation. That was, I wouldn't have been working very hard to go back to college. So I was going to see Amy, and I'm driving, and I slide off the road. And it's just like this, like slow motion. And I slide down, and I don't know why they build up the roads there, but they build the roads down, and, you know, and then everyone has a farm, so there's a fence on the bottom, you know what I mean? Like, so you go down the slide, and then there's a fence right there. So I went all the way jammed against the fence, so the snow, everyone in the Midwest is going, uh-huh, uh, you've done this. I've slid off the road probably, not when I'm driving, yeah, 10 times. So I slid up the road, the snow is up to the window, and I'm like, it's cold, and I'm sure I'd call the tow truck guy, and he's like, you seriously drove today? Like, why would you do that? And so I had like this moment. I'm like, here it is. I've got four-wheel drive. And, and this is the Grand Wagoneer. I don't have to go around and touch hubcaps and stuff like that. No. I hit the button, and I'm like, here, here we go. So I said a short prayer. Dear Lord, make my four-wheel drive work. And I hit the gas, and, and suddenly my car just starts moving. And I've been stuck so many times, like where you're pushing, you're putting kitty litter, you're putting tracks down, you know, like, and, and my car's going, and I'm pulling through snow like this big, and my, this thing weighs like 900,000 pounds. So I'm driving through, and I get back on the highway, and the jubilation in my mind, I, I'm like celebrating, I'm clapping, I'm hitting the roof, like, yes, this is the greatest day of my whole life. I couldn't wait to go tell Amy we didn't have a cell phone then. I don't know where you guys are at. But King David, he's been stuck. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. 
He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit or the bog, out of the mud and the mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You've got to wait sometimes. And sometimes you, you're, you might be in a dark patch right now. Right? Your heart might be breaking. You might have loss. You might be struggling with a sin. You might have doubts. You might get angry. Just wait. Because God's mercies are new every morning. He's got a Savior who came to this world, and he delights in you more than a father delights in his daughter. He delights in you, and he longs to have a relationship with you. He sends his own son to die, to suffer, so that you can be with him. Right now, it might not feel like he picked you out of that pit, but the day is coming, I guarantee it. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, many of us feel completely stuck in our situations, and we kind of keep it to ourselves. This rolls around in our head, and we become uh, more and more entangled by these thoughts. We pray right now that you would change us right now, that we could have the trust to get past these points. Let's reach out to other people's lives and let them pour into us through your word, and let's hear your word as you are the good shepherd who wants us to have life to the full.